بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اما بعد اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من القول والعمل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير اللهم الهمنا مراشد امورنا واعذنا من شرور انفسنا امين يا رب العالمين respected elders and brothers dear mothers and sisters dear listeners and students assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we thank again allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immensely for his blessing upon you and i for allowing us to gather together in a in a masjid after performing our salah with jama'ah with the sole niyyah of learning about the Qur'an and hoping from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this humble gathering of ours, inshaAllah, is going to be surrounded by millions of angels. And we're with the hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow us to leave this gathering in a state that we have rejuvenated our iman, we have strengthened our relationship with the Qur'an and our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has increased. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of you, to also make dua that, Ya Allah, allow us to hear that which is uh, most appropriate, most needed for me at this, at this juncture. Every one of us is sitting here with all sorts of uh, issues and worries, and we need to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say, Ya Allah, whatever is most important for me at this juncture, allow me to hear it, inshaAllah. <clears throat> we ended off on this ayah, ayah 8. Allahu la ilaha illahu lahu al-asma'ul husna. Yeah, last week, that there's no God but Him, to Him belongs the most excellent names. And one point before we move on to the next ayah, is the fact that all names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are many, many names and many attributes, endless. One hadith mentions 99. But even that hadith that has 99, there are multiple narrations of that. And so some of them have one set of 99, some others have another set of 99. Meaning there's a few that are found in one hadith that's not found in the other. So just within that one hadith, they are already more than 99. And it's not restricted to 99. Although that one hadith brings 99 together, there are many, many more attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that only Allah azza wa actually knows. Names and attributes. One thing we need to understand here is that there are attributes we cannot add on our own. Attributes are those which have been mentioned in the, uh, by Rasulullah or by Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran or mentioned by Rasulullah in, in Sunnah. Another beautiful point that we learn from some scholars here is that there are certain attributes that are supposed to be mentioned together. Certain attributes are supposed to be mentioned together. For example, we're not supposed to say just, uh, uh, for example, Al-Dar, the one who gives uh, harm. We're not supposed to say just Al-Mudhil, the one who disgraces a person. Not say just al-mufqir, um, right? Or basically, aghna wa aqna. He's the one who makes you wealthy. He's the one who makes you poor. He's the one who makes you healthy. He's the one who makes you sick. He's the one who makes you alive. He's the one who makes you dead. He's the one who honors you. He's the one who disgraces you. So when it comes to saying um, disgrace, when it comes to saying uh, making someone poor, when it comes to saying someone uh, being made uh, death, etc., these are things. Uh, that or or al-mani' the one who withholds these should not be mentioned separately instead they should be mentioned with their um, counterpart they should be mentioned with their counterpart so for example if you want to say mani' the one who withholds you have to you should say with it al-mu'ti al-mani' 
Right? The one who gives and the one who withholds. If you want to talk about dar, the one who harms, then you should also say anafi'u dar, the one who benefits and the one who harms. If you want to say mudhil, the one who disgraces, then say al-mu'izzul mudhil, the one who grants honor and the one who grants disgrace. Why is that? Such a beautiful point, those scholars say, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He makes you poor to make you rich. He makes you poor to make you rich. He withholds from you to give you. He disgraces you to honor you. Alright? He gives you death at times to give you life. He gives you sickness to give you health. Meaning, every single thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing in reality is for our long-term benefit. Whatever is He's doing for us is what? Is our long-term benefit. We may not see it as that because we don't have much farsightedness. We don't have much, you know, firasa. We don't see the inner workings of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing things. But that's a reality. What becomes... What seems to be, uh, you know, an upset in our schedule, what seems to be a, a mess up in our schedule, what seems to be uh, something unexpected, behind that unexpectation, unexpectedness is, amaz- is something amazing. How many stories and examples you and I can just think of right now, when we initially saw, thought, we've lost our road, we've lost the path, we've lost directions, we have gotten, you know, uh, away from where we were headed, or we've gotten out of place, we got sick. Out of place, we lost money. Out of place, you lost your wallet. Out of place, etc. And apparently you're like, why did this happen to me now? But not always. A few of those instances, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows you Himself why you did that. Meaning what was the hidden benefit? Within, sometimes within an hour, sometimes within a day, sometimes within a week, sometimes much longer. You realize that in Allah withholding you from you something, there was actually great benefit. In Allah granting, making you sick, there was some great benefit. Like you see, in the story of Musa and Khadr that we did, that Musa Khadr he made a hole in the ship, right? And then when Musa got upset at him, السلام, later on he explained, an I intended to create a defect in the ship because there was a benefit that you didn't understand. What was that? There was a king that was down the river that was picking up and, and was forcefully taking any ship that seemed to be sound and in good shape. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He withholds to gives, meaning the future He's going to give. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the future He's going to give. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes you sick because He wants to grant you health. What type of health? He wants to grant you spiritual health. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds, and it's your dunya, because He wants to give you a dunya. He knows if you have too much dunya, you will not be able to handle it. And you will go further away from Allah Many times a person sees, why I can't get this job? I can't get this contract. I can't get this contact. But little do we know that if we were to have all of that coming easy our way, where we would have ended up. You don't get that promotion, you don't realize. Work for it, definitely work for it. Ask for it, make dua. But then if you don't get it, understand that behind you not getting that promotion, there is actually a much greater promotion. That if that promotion were to be given to you right now, your relationship with Allah would deteriorate. And you would go downward very quickly, downhill. But because you didn't get this promotion, what happened? Within a few days, you ended up getting a greater, subhanAllah, promotion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ajeeb. There are many parents today who are suffering. Many parents. Allahu A'lam. SubhanAllah. How many there are? Who are suffering at the, because of their children. Because of the children are leaving the deen. Because of the children have a medical illness. Because the children are handicapped. <clears throat> or children are critically ill. Children are uh, long-term, have long-term illnesses. And all sorts of issues. 
And subhanAllah, of course, initially it sounds horrible, it looks terrible. Then why is my child, you know, in this type of situation? But if you think about it, as mashallah, some fathers and mothers understand it very quickly. They say that we have four children, three are, or five children, two, three are very healthy, very bright, very this and that. And they say one of them, he or she is our gateway to Jannah. Right, he or she is our gateway to Jannah. The rest of them, they're smart, they're bright, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they've got, apparently they made it in the deen and the dunya, but we don't know what they're gonna do long term for us. Because they were easy, yani, mashallah, autopilot, everything easy, as expected, nothing much took from us. What took the toll on the parents is that one disabled child. What took a toll on the parents is what, that one unhealthy child. Or what took a toll on the parents is that one disobedient child. Or that parent, that, that, that child has turned against his parents. So now that child actually, subhanAllah, ends up becoming, as some parents understand, rightfully so, that this is our gateway to paradise. This is our key to Jannah. So now a person, a believer needs to understand that if Allah did not put me in this situation, if I did not have this troubled child, if I did not have this sick child in my home, then would I be running to the masjid the way I am right now? Would I be as humble as I am right now? Would I be reading wazifas and this dhikr and that dhikr? Subhanallah, how many people are trying to get their children back into their homes, are trying to get their children back to the deen. It's a very, very sad situation. Every day I learn of some new incident. Even today I did. And, and my heart goes out to such people. May Allah make it easy for them. We ask Allah that He doesn't test us like them. And we ask Allah to grant all of them strength and steadfastness in their test. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal in this difficult situation that He allows them to use the proper methods and means to be able to help their children. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. But when a person sees that th this person is going through difficulty, now he's coming to the masjid looking for answers. Previously, he never used to come to the masjid. Previously, he was never connected with a'mal and athkar. But now when he sees that problem has come to me, now what happens, this engages him, this forces him to increase in his tahajjud, in his dhikr, in his dua, all of that stuff happening. And Allah knows that if I were to take this musibah away, he will forget me again. So this musibah in reality is the greatest blessing. I'm sure what I'm saying resonates with all of us here. Right? So that's why we shouldn't make too much shikaya, too much complaint. That's why you look at Nabi Sallallahu beautiful dua of Ta'if. Allah min yashku ilayka du'a faquwati wa qillata hilati wa hawani ala nas. Oh Allah, I complain to you. I complain to you. Ashku qillata hilati. Allah min yashku ilayka du'a faquwati. I complain to you the weakness of my strength. Wa qillata hilati. The absence or the weakness of my planning on my part that I didn't I couldn't plan properly I wasn't physically and emotionally strong as I should have been and I complained to you of how I am being mistreated by the people meaning they're taking me very lightly maybe if I look different I acted different maybe they would have some more respect subhanallah he's blaming himself for the way he's being mistreated in the most oppressive manner by the people of Ta'if and then he turns to Allah and he says Ya Allah, who did you hand me over to? Have you thrown me to the mercy of an enemy that is attacking me? Or have you thrown me to someone, a, a, a close person who you have made them fully powerful over my affairs? Then he says, Oh Allah, but if you are not angry at me right now in this state, I'm, I, the thing I'm worried about is I hope you're not upset at me. As I'm being whipped and I'm being uh, mistreated and I'm being pelted with stones and I'm bleeding and I'm being spat upon and I'm being pushed away from this uh, from Taif, in this situation of extreme humility and humbleness for Allah, what is his main concern? Are you angry with me? Are you upset at me? That's all. He says, If you are not upset at me, if you are not angry at me, فلا أبالي, that literally means I don't care. 
Fala'ubali, I don't mind. I don't care. Fala'ubali. If this is what you want me to see, if you want to see me in this situation where I am bleeding, where I am suffering, Fala'ubali, then so be it. I'm happy to present myself in this manner to you. Allah, you granting me well-being, this is much more comfortable and accommodating for me. If you were to grant me a life of well-being and afia, that would be much easier for me to handle. Look at how nicely he presents it. Look at, the, look at the way he presents his case. Not demanding anything. Saying, I'm, I'm yours, and every situation of mine is your, it belongs to you. I just want to make sure that this is not a sign of you being angry at me. Right? So what happens here is that a believer should think that subhanAllah, maybe the situation I'm in right now, there, there's got to be some hikmah and wisdom. I'm saying this for myself. I'm saying this for yourself. Because so many of us go through repeated problems in our life. And it gets frustrating. And we say, when is this going to end? When is the help of Allah going to come? Right? When is this all going to wrap up? What we don't understand is that it's good that it doesn't wrap up, maybe. Because if it wraps up, you and I would not be remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is going back to the beautiful aspect that the ulama have said, that there are names of Allah that should be mentioned together. Mention those names with the counterparts. Whichever name gives you the apparent appearance of difficulty and, um, uh, and harshness on behalf of Allah, match it up with its counterpart. Don't mention it just separately. This is amazing. Because in the Quran too, you will see, for example, Hamim Tanzir Kitab ibn Allah al-Aziz al-Alim, Ghafil al-Dham, Waqabil al-Tawb, Shadid al-Aqabid al-Tawl. Allah mentions within the same ayah, both aspects. Ghafil al-Dham, He forgives sins. Qabil al-Tawb, He accepts the repentance. Shadid al-Aqab, and He punishes in the, in the most severe manner. Anywhere, any page of the Quran, wherever you see Allah mentioning the attributes of, of punishment uh, and harshness, you will see He couples it with softness and jamal as well. For example, uh, Allah Azza wa says, إِنَّ عَذَابِهِ وَالْعَذَابِ الْأَلِيمِ Indeed, Indeed I, am, I am most forgiving, most merciful. I am most forgiving, most merciful. And my punishment is a very painful punishment. Notice how I, how I gestured with my hands. That he speak, when he's speaking about mercy and forgiveness, he addresses, he calls it himself. I am most forgiving, most merciful. And then he presents his punishing aspect. He says, And my punishment. Doesn't say, In this case, that I am the one who, who punishes you. Instead, he, he brought in the aspect of punishment as though it's a side thing. Right? This, is, this shows still the, the fact that Allah's mercy is over, oh, uh, yani, over-encompassing of everything. As mentioned, that Allah wrote on the arsh already. Allah has written on the throne, in rahmati sabaqat ghadabi. That indeed, my mercy is uh, overpowering my uh, anger. We ask Allah Azza wa to allow us to, uh, be, uh, to, to infuse our minds and hearts with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the understanding of the attributes in the, in the, in the most proper manner. Now we move on to the story of, of Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, um, that you see Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, uh, uh, you know, more than almost, uh, you know, uh, uh, over a dozen times, over a dozen places, 17, 18 or more places in the Quran, Allah Jalla Jalla mentions this. And this surah mentions it in the most detailed manner. Now why is Musa alayhi salatu wasalam's story mentioned in so many different places? Let's talk about that. وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ مُوسَىٰ Let me read it, and then we'll come back to the tafsir of it. And now has the account of Moses come to you, O Prophet ﷺ. إِذْ رَأَىٰ نَارًا Behold, he saw a fire, 
on the side of Mount Tur of Sinai. فَقَالَ لِأَهْلِهِمْ كُثُوا So he said to his family, Um Kuthu, remain here. إِنِّي أَنَسْتُ نَارَ Indeed, I have noticed a fire. لَعَلِّي Perhaps from it, آتِيكُمْ مِنْهَا بِقَبَسٍ I shall bring you a firebrand. أَوْ أَجِدُ عَلَى النَّارِ هُدَى Or I shall find at the fire some guidance as to our way. Or I shall find at the fire some guidance. I shall find someone sitting there by the fire who can guide me um, to our destination. فَلَمَّا أَتَاهَا نُودِيَا يَا مُوسَى So when he came to it, to aid to the fire, he was called, Nudia. he was called, يَا مُوسَى, O Moses, إِنِّي أَنَا رَبُّكْ Indeed, I am. I am, Rabbuka, I am your Lord. فَأَخْلَعْنَا عَلَيْكَ So take off your sandals. إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ طُوَى You are in the holy valley of Tuwa. Indeed, you are in the holy valley of Tuwa. وَأَنَ اخْتَرْتُكَ for I have chosen you as a messenger. Therefore, listen to what is being revealed. Listen to that which is being revealed. Indeed, it is I. It is indeed, it is I. I am Allah. There is no God but me. So worship me alone. And duly establish the prayer for my remembrance. Indeed, the hour of doom is coming. Atiyatun is coming. I have designed to keep it hidden. I have designed to keep the exact moment when the hour will strike hidden. What's the purpose of it being hidden? So that every soul may be duly recompensed with that for which it strives for in life. So that every soul may be duly recompensed with that for which it strives in life. فَلَا يَصُدَّنَّكَ عَنْهَا So let not those who disbelieve in the hour مَنْ لَا يُؤْمِنُ بِهَا means those who disbelieve فَلَا يَصُدَّنَّكَ means do not let them turn you away who, do not allow which people to turn you away from the deen number one مَنْ لَا يُؤْمِنُ بِهَا those people who don't believe in the hereafter don't let them mislead you and who else? وَاتَّبَعَ هَوَاهُ and those people who Follow their whims and desires. If you follow those people who follow their nafs and desires, and if you follow those people who do not believe in the hereafter, what will happen? Fatarda, you shall fall into the you shall fall into doom. Okay, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala just to get, get get us up to why is why is this story mentioned in so many places in the Quran? There's a few reasons ulama explain. Uh, one explanation is the main purpose of the Quran, as you know, is Tawheed. Tawheed, establishing the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this surah, from the beginning to the end, every aspect of it presents to you the absolute oneness and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The story of Musa and Fir'aun. Secondly, is that along with Tawheed, this surah shows us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's all-encompassing knowledge. Allah's all-encompassing knowledge. And you'll see how Allah knows the past, the present, the future, what's beneficial for Musa, what's harmful for Allah, what's harmful for, for Musa. All of those things are amazingly presented in this surah. So you have Allah's oneness and His power. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge of every aspect of human existence and every aspect of all existence, it becomes quite apparent in this surah. The third reason ulama say that this surah has been repeated so many times is because it is the story of a prophet who was a very honorable, 
prophet. He wasn't just a Nabi, but he was a Rasul. He was not a, just a prophet, but he was a messenger who was given a special book. He was from amongst the 313 messengers. And he wasn't just from amongst the 313 messengers. He was from amongst the five Ulul Azam prophets, the most senior of the prophets. From amongst these people, he is. Yet his life is filled with so much difficulty and challenge. And so many setbacks, so many unexpected turns, so much turbulence in his life. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala eventually gave him victory in a most amazing manner. It didn't seem like that when it all started. It seemed anything but victory. It seemed failure. It seemed, oh my God, now what's next? He got caught in this one. He got caught in that one. That's what it seemed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this surah wants to uh, console the Prophet alayhi salatu and wants to lighten his burden and wants to encourage him that, you, that Nabi Musa you should take solace in his life to see how much he went through even though he was Kalimullah. He was the one who spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him in a direct manner. That honor Allah gave him, yet Allah chose to put him through so much difficulty. So you are definitely, you should expect yourself to go through difficulty as well. And other modern day scholars also will add how the story of Musa is so relevant to Muslim minorities living under non-Muslim rule. And it just tells us lesson upon lesson how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He wants to grant victory to haq in the truth then no matter how, uh, how bad the odds may be no matter how outnumbered you may be but if Allah wants to grant victory to His plan none, none, none can None can overturn Allah's command. None can overturn Allah's plan. None can overturn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Allah's fulfilling of His final plan. It may seem daunting at first, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works with means, without means, and against means. And so Musa alayhi story is an amazing manifestation of going up against odds a person, just like you thought it was bad enough that he's born under Bani Israel, under Fir'aun rule, that, oh my God, how is he going to survive? And then from there, he ends up in the worst spot, apparently, which is inside the palace of the man himself who was ordered the killing of all children. How could it get more worse than that? In his lap, you've ordered the killing of hundreds of thousands of kids because you're afraid of a prophet that's going to show up and is going to bring down your kingdom because a fortune teller told you that. And so you kill everyone, Except for the one who actually is going to do that. And you're sitting, he's sitting in your lap right now, pulling your beard. Subhanallah al-Azim. That story, in every turn of it, Surah Al-Qasas, you know, also, where Musa al-Salam's story is mentioned in great detail. Inshallah, inshallah, throughout this Surah Tahatu, we'll be referencing all these. It's, it, 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 it just, the theme comes back for us. I think it's super relevant that Musa al-Salam's story, the more you focus on it, ajib lessons come about for, for, for us living in the era that we live in and um, in the apparent, you know, obviously turbulence that we have around us, the apparent odds against the Muslim ummah throughout the globe in trying to practice the deen. SubhanAllah, this story is filled with lessons. So we all know that just to put us, you know, up to date, we're where we are here. Because this story doesn't start from the birth of Musa. It's jumping into the day he received his prophethood. So let's quickly go over the fact, the obvious facts that Musa a.s. was... Uh, as soon as he was born in that year, when children were being killed, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered his mother to put him into, uh, keep, you know, nurse him until a time comes. When you're afraid that the uh, police and the shurtis and the army of Fir'aun will catch up to you and will find him. And then if that's, if you're afraid, put him in that box and throw him into the river. Don't be afraid, don't be grieved. We will send him back to you and we will make him into a prophet. The people of Fir'aun, the army of Fir'aun, the people of Fir'aun picked him up off of the banks of the river. And Allah says the reason why he picked them up, This is amazing, Surah Qasas. The reason why, he, why they picked him up, why did they pick him up? They saw a box, that's why they picked him up, right? Then they could have just killed him. But they said, wait, this is a beautiful child. He was just smiling at them. This cute, amazing smile. Like, well, how can we do this? Okay, hold on. Let's figure out what's going on. In the meantime, Asiya finds out. Says, what's this? And she falls in love. I mean, there's many children she could have fallen in love with. But that child's smile was something she couldn't get, get her mind off of. And then she tells her husband. Husband's like, what are you doing? Get rid of this. No, please. Please, can we adopt him? Can we adopt him as, as, as our son? Right? Maybe he'll be of some benefit to us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's so amazing that they picked it up to probably get rid of it. The army picked it up because they were doing, you know, cleaning up the banks of the river from random boxes. That was, that's what they thought they were doing. And they thought they were going to get rid of this, this child. Little did they know, what this la means, what meaning, what will be the end result of this picking up this box? 20, 40, 60, 80 years down the line. They picked up this box. So that this, this box could be, and i.e. the child in this box, could become in the future, little did they know, their biggest fear, their biggest enemy. And the biggest source of grief. Subhanallah. You know like, you, know, you open a bottle, it's like, my God, a genie came out. That was the worst thing that happened, right? This is way more than a genie. right? This is Musa bringing down the whole... Dynasty of Pharaoh. So what does that tell us? This ayah itself is filled with wisdom. The idea is so many times you pick something up and you don't know what you're getting your hands on. It might be the best move you've done and it also might be the worst move you've done. It's scary. You know, a person, a person gets into a job, gets into a marriage, gets into a home, gets into a business, gets into a partnership, huh? enters into a certain contract, enters into a certain, goes to a certain party. Apparently, it doesn't seem like anything major is happening. But that one move ends up becoming the life-changing experience, subhanAllah, of your, uh, you know, for the rest of your, for the future. So, it's, it's, that's why, that's why you're supposed to be making dua. Allahumma ahsin aqibatana fil umuri kulliha. Oh Allah, make the end result, aqiba, same thing. Make the end result of all my affairs good. And save me from the uh, disgrace of this dunya. And from the punishment of the hereafter. Dunya me rasuai se bacha de, akhirat me azab se bacha de. Or har mamle me khair hi khair farma de. Akhiri me. Shuru me kitna bhi bura lage, lekin uska akhir anjam acha ho. No matter how bad you may look at the beginning, let the end result be good. So that's why in any time you're making a move, we really got to make istikhara. We really have to ask Allah for good. Because there's no such thing as there's got to be good. Come on. Well, how else could this be? How else could this be like bad? We don't know. It could be. From the weirdest places, things, horrible things happen.
Allahu Akbar. I've, I've, I know of certain incidents where sometimes Umrah literally became the worst thing that anyone could have done in their lives. So many problems came. The people they met on the airplane, the people they met over there, the things that happened after that destroyed a person's life. It's crazy. The person they were sitting next to in an airplane completely destroyed their life. I'm not making this up, real stories. And, uh, and he goes back to Musa Firaun's uh, palace. And he grows there learning the ins and outs of the palace life. Besides just the map of the palace, he knows the ins and outs of how to think, how Firaun thinks, how the people think, etc, etc. What happened after that? Uh, one day he was traveling out and he ended up, uh, he saw a Qipti and a, a Bani Israel were having a fight and an argument. And uh, what happened? And there was a fight broke out and uh, the, uh, the Bani Israel, uh, he ended up outing out Musa to say, uh, when he slapped him, he told him, why are you, yesterday you're in a fight, today you're in a fight. In the first fight, in the previous day, Bani, uh, the, the Qipti ended up, uh, the, the non-Muslim who was attacking this Jewish person, Musa went to just stop it, but he was a very powerful man and he slapped him, he ended up, Musa ended up dying, accidentally. It was what we call Qatul Khata, accidental death. And the next day, that same person got into a fight. That's something to understand. If there's the same person always causing trouble, always saying, yeah, this guy, he fought with me, that guy, he fought with me. Before you get all excited and riled up, why don't we look into this person who's always bringing you the complaints about fights happening? Because he actually might be the problem. You know? He actually might be the problem. So he here was the problem. And he, when he got scared, Musa is going to hit me and he's going to kill me too. So he says, Are you, don't kill me the way you killed someone yesterday. So other people heard that. The news started to spread. Someone came to him and said, you better leave town quickly because they are planning now to kill you and to take you to Fir'aun and you're going to be in big trouble. So he ran. And according to some historical books, he traveled 2,500 kilometers on foot. All right? So from all the way from Egypt all the way to Madian uh, and there was no Swiss canal at that time. So he had to go around the Sahel, around the entire um, uh, you know, banks of this whole body of water, thousands of kilometers, traveled there. And there he found, he didn't have any food, didn't have any, anything. He turned to Allah and said, Rabbini lama anzalta khayrin faqeer. Oh Allah, I am in need of whatever you can send down, any good to me, any good for me. And so ulama say, it was that dua, the barakah of that dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him two things, gave him a wife and gave him a job. Well, which ayah is this? Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. You've heard this, right? Okay? So this is something, anyone looking for a job, anyone looking to get married, read this dua as, as often as possible. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. Oh Allah, indeed I am absolutely in need of whatever goodness, good you sent to me. So he, he saw Shu'ab al-Salam's daughters, he assisted them. Long story short, he, they go and they intercede on his behalf. They say, please hire him. He gets hired and then he says, I want to get you married because you're such an amazing person, trustworthy person and strong. I want you to get married to one of my daughters. And then they said, well, there's a, a, the dowry is that you have to work here 8 to 10 years dowry, subhanAllah. 8 to 10 years. But those 8 to 10 years, what happened? It's not just dowry. He's sitting in the company of a Nabi. Right? So he's getting all this amazing training. There he got training under Fir'aun, looking out how he runs his palace. He's, and now he's getting the training with uh, Shu'aib And alhamdulillah, all Allah is preparing him for something big that's going to happen. And then now he starts heading back after 8 to 10 years of serving.
On the way back, he's traveling with his family. What does family mean? His wife. And uh, it's a cold night. They've gotten lost. And his, 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 um, his family is in, in a tough situation. So they really needed some fire to uh, keep themselves warm at night. And this is where the story begins in this surah. Now do you know, has the account of Musa come to you? Right? This is supposed to create desire. Do you know the story of Musa? And you're like, no I don't. Well here you go, then listen. Okay, here's the story. He saw a fire and he told his family, wait, right? Interesting thing possibly the scholars write here is that we didn't have like his whole family there. He had his wife there. But the word ahl has been used for the wife here. Some scholars say the word ahl has been used for wife. And this is a very, a word filled with modesty and haya, referring to the wife through ahl. Ahlu ayal. You know, that's what they say in Urdu as well. And, uh, and things of that sort. Although in, in English we usually don't use that type of word. But you understand, you may hear someone referring to their wife as their family. You wonder, like, hey, what's going on? Because you might be not accustomed to this. You say, where did this come from? Well, I'm telling you where it's coming from. It's coming from here. Ali. Referring to his wife as his family. So he told his family, Um Kuthu, stay here. That's one explanation. I told you there are other explanations too. Um Kuthu, stay here. I'm going to come back. I've noticed some fire. So now... What happens? He heads out to that fire in order to bring uh, a fire ban. What's qabas? Qabas is, in lugha, it just means uh, a piece of wood that you use to uh, light up another fire. And you take, a, you take that wood and you, like a match, you, you, you get some fire from a larger fire and go and start up your own fire. So he wanted to bring some comfort to his wife and that's why he went for Oh, ajidu ala nari huda. Subhanallah. Or I may find some guidance. <laughs> Meaning, we're lost right now. And there's the, you know, we need some gas. So let me go to the gas station. And maybe we'll also find someone who can give us some directions. Right? It's interesting how Ajib, he just kind of just said that. I need some guidance. We're lost right now. We need to figure out in the middle of the night where we're stuck here in, in the middle of the desert. Little did he know what he's walking into. Okay? Falamma when he goes to this fire, he was called out. Musa salam was called out. Allah Azza wa starts speaking to him and addressing him. And Musa salam, he is now being spoken to by Allah Azza wa He says, Inni ana rabbuk. Indeed, I am your Lord. Now, there's many places in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the honorific uh, plural form the royal we. Like, inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra. Indeed, we have revealed the Quran. Wa inna lahul hafidun. And indeed, we are his protectors. Inna a'tina kal kawthar. Indeed, we have given you the, the hawd of kawthar. Inna anzalna fi laylatul qadr. Inna lanansur rusulana. Indeed, we've revealed the Quran in laylatul qadr. Indeed, we will assist our prophets, waladin amanu, and those who are believers. So, in all of those places, Revealing of the Qur'an, assisting of the prophets, granting kawthar, uh, revealing of the Qur'an again, etc. All of those places, what are these? These are what we call af'al, actions. 
of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about his actions, then many places or most places the royal we is used. However, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about his that or his own person, then in that case, the single form is used. Does that make sense? For attributes, plural, royal we is used. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about his own, uh, just the self, then in that case, the singular form is used. So that's why you see here, indeed I am is used. Ana rabbuk. Now from amongst Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name, the name that is closest to you and I is Rabb. Because this Rabb is the one who grants us food, drink, water, family, children, um, health, wealth, every single thing that's on the earth, he's subjugated for us, everything in the heavens, he's subjugated for us. And he is the one who uh, guides, us to, guides us to him, guides us to uh, following the path of Iman, guides us to following the sunnah of the Prophet every single thing he's giving. And when he withholds, he withholds to give us. When he makes us sick, he makes us sick to grant us health. When he uh, disgraces us, he disgraces us to grant us honor. Right? SubhanAllah. So this is a why, the closest word to us, closest attribute of Allah, Rabb. The one who gives us what we need in an orderly fashion at the appointed and the most appropriate time. If you give steak to a newborn, that's not being Rabb. That's going to choke him to death. To give a baby what it needs, and as it grows, to give him, uh, uh, give him things that are appropriate to his age. That's Rabb. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for all of us, is giving us what we need from the time the, the, the baby is being formed in the mother's womb to every step afterwards, when we're out and about, till our last breath. We see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing us things that we need at that time. My beloved friends, the mercy and the love of a mother, the care of a father, the, uh, the worry of, of family and friends, this is one small tiny drop in the sea of mercy of Allah for us. This is a tiny drop in the sea of mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has for every one of us who, honor, who, who does everything in our best interest. And so this is what Rabb is. That's why you see Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. That's one of the first things that's mentioned. Here again, indeed I am your Lord. Now what should you do? Fakhlana alayk. So take off your sandals. There are multiple tafsirs of this. One explanation of, uh, of Fakhlana alayk means that leave the dunya. Juta ke murad kya hai? Dunya. Dunya ke muhabbat. Take out the love of the dunya from your heart. You're in a very special place. Okay? Don't speak about dunya here now. That's something interesting. Subhanallah. That when we come into the masjid, when we come into places of worship, when we come, we're trying to come close to Allah, we have to realize, you and I, we're all in the dunya. But we have to fake it till we make it. We can at least in the masjid, at least in gatherings of knowledge and dhikr, at least in the presence of so-called pious people or people who we look up to, we should be not flaunting our dunya or speaking about how much we are infatuated with our dunya. Because this is baghiv, this is absolutely disliked. Disliked, subhanAllah. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were to, لَوْ كَانَتِ الدُّنْيَا تَعْدِلُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ جَنَاحَ بَعُوضَةً if the entire dunya were to be equivalent to a wing of a mosquito in the eyes of Allah, he would not have given a disbeliever a single glass, no, shurba, a single gulp of water, a single sip of water. Meaning the fact that disbelievers are loaded with wealth and loaded with prominence and materialistic things, 
means this is far, 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 far inferior than not a mosquito, but a wing of mosquito. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said a butterfly. Allah could have said a fly. No, but there's nothing you and I hate more than a mosquito. A honeybee with stings, yes, but there's so much benefit in the honeybee. Right? But mosquito, apparently, we don't see any benefit of that. Right? It's, it's just annoying. And it, 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 it bites and it hurts and so forth. Allah, Rasulullah gave that example. And he could have just said a wing, a mosquito. No, janaha. He didn't even say two wings. He said one wing. What is the value of one wing of a mosquito? Subhanallah. That wing of a mosquito, if dunya were to be equivalent to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have given a disbeliever a gulp of water. My beloved friends, let's, let's seriously, this hadith, I know all of you heard this before. But just take some time to, to, you know, to settle in your mind and heart. What is this saying? That when we see the disbelievers as so much, don't get impressed by it. Don't become envious of it. Don't allow yourself to get caught by the glitter of the dunya. Because it's like, it's, it has zero value. It has zero value. Simple example of that is someone who says, how much you got in your wallet? He says, I got a dollar bill. One dollar bill. How much you have? And this guy pulls out, not a wallet, he pulls out a whole box. And a box is loaded with bills. Ones, hundreds, you know, two hundreds, five hundreds, and even thousands. But they're all monopoly paper. Monopoly paper. And he's walking around like that. What if we'll tell it? Let me see if the vending machine downstairs will take that. Even the vending machine won't take that, brother. What are you gonna do outside? You think you're gonna get a coffee with that? A donut? At least one my dollar will get me something from the vending machine. My one dollar is far superior to the box that you're flaunting around with money with with paper. Uh, monopoly money. Absolute zero. And you are flaunting thousands in front of me. That is the haqiqah of a wealth of a disbeliever. At least that monopoly money won't harm you and I. But the wealth that this disbeliever has will actually be a massive, massive source of, of punishment and worry and, and problems for him. Because that wealth will be used in haram. If he didn't have that money, he won't be able to use it in haram. Every time he uses that money in haram, every time he uses that money in kufr, it's just adding up the, the punishment for him in the hereafter. So as a believer, how can I ever look at someone driving next to me or someone living next to me who is a disbeliever or someone who is away from Allah and become envious of what they have? Absolutely not. That's foolishness. But we do, I do, you do, we all do because we're not thinking, we're not in the right frame of mind. That's why this discussion has to happen every day about the fact that dunya is hech, nech, nothing, zero. It's useless. My beloved friends, but we, we get so scared about speaking about the dunya I've actually had to tame myself a lot. I have to control my tongue. Because I've learned people can't handle t this talk. SubhanAllah. Because I've given a few Jummah khutbahs years ago, 10, 12 years ago, about this. And people, I get surrounded by people after Jummah. You know, oh, you're trying to, they wouldn't say that, but basically they're saying, you know, you're playing sour grapes, you know, sour, you don't have the money, so you, you hate us for, for having the money. What's wrong with you? SubhanAllah. Who, who equated? Why are you saying that your money is dunya? This is stupidness, foolishness. No one said money is dunya. Dunya is it's a different concept. Remember that. Dunya dari. Dunya dari. Which is materialism. Owning a material, material thing of dunya is something from material. It's two different things. Are you going to call Uthman ibn Affan? Or are you going to call Abu Qur Siddiq radiallahu anhu? Or are you going to call Imam Hanifa? Or are you going to call Imam Malik? Or any of these great scholars? Dunya dar or materialistic? Of course not. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... 
had given them a lot of wealth. But it was the fact that this wealth was absolutely not in their heart. And they used it solely to earn Allah's pleasure and to earn their beautiful palaces in Jannah. They used the means for akhirah. So there's nothing wrong with wealth. So let's not become all defensive. Oh, you're speaking about me. Maybe, you know, dal mein kala hai. There's something wrong with yourself. You're having a reflection of your own weaknesses. And now you are, you are putting that upon someone else. You're blaming the khatib for it. Because you yourself are feeling uneasy about it. Stop feeling uneasy unless you have a problem and sort it out. But this is not something that we cannot speak about. We have been taught to speak about it. There's books, uh, hadith. If you really pick up Mishkat Sharif, or you pick up Ihyal al or you pick up Arba'in of Imam Ghazali, I'm literally, I tell you man, if you read those things where the Rasulullah speaks about dunya, you feel so guilty. You feel so guilty. You can't even go home and probably have dinner after reading that. You realize that subhanAllah, we are so materialistic. And, and it's, I, I remember preparing for a class of Arba'in, which was taught here in the Tafim program. I was substituting for a teacher one day. And I was preparing for Arba'in uh, of Imam Ghazali, the, the 40 principles. And boy, you know, subhanAllah, I could, it was so hard for me to teach the class. Because when you read that book, you'll genuinely feel like a hypocrite. You seriously feel like a hypocrite. Like where am, I, where am I and where am I supposed to be? What am I thinking that I'm really following the deen? So this type of reality check, we need it. We should appreciate moments when we get that reality check. And don't just wait for other people to give a talk. You and I should go out of our way to read these books. Like I just mentioned, Arba'in of Usul al-Din. It's taught here as well. And you can get the book from the bookstore. It's great. Translation of Mishkat al-Masabih, you know, uh, or any collection of hadith where Rasulullah is speaking about dunya and the khasisa and the fact that how it's lowly and it's absolutely not worth it. If you get it, doesn't mean don't use it. It's great. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah calls it khair in the Quran. That the human being, he loves, his love for khair is intense. What is, we all know what this is referring to. This is referring to dunya. But obviously, it's khair if you use it in the best possible manner. And if you use it in an improper manner, there's nothing more evil than that. Understand that. So dunya is khair if we use it in a good manner. Just allow ourselves, allow us to own the money and don't allow the money to own us. That's it. Allow the money to be around us, but don't allow it to get into your heart. You have to keep from a distance. You have a pet snake. Pet lion, whatever the case may be. MashaAllah, nice, good for you. If you're not me, not for me. But if you like pythons and whatnot, fine. But you don't want to get too comfy with that. It's going to bite you. No, it's, it's instinct, it's, it's going to bite. That's what it is. You see these uh, lions eventually killing the owners and this, that, all these stories that you see happening. If you get to, that's what they do, right? that's what they are for. How long are you going to subdue it? it just, it's a matter of time. But if it gets a chance, it's fitrah will come out. It's nature will come out and it'll attack you. So wealth in its nature is out there to destroy you. If you are using wealth, it's like you are taking care of fire. You deal with fire in your workplace, from whatever type of work you have, fine. But you cannot let your guard down. They say, it was fire, let me put my hand in it. How is that going to work? But you use fire to, this is a good example, you use fire to make chai. You use fire to make your biryani. You use fire to do grilling. You use fire to warm up hot water to take a bath. Everything we're using fire for. But the very same fire, if it, my kurta touches it, I'm done. I remember when I was studying in Pakistan. And it was cold, you know, we didn't have central heat. We used to have this gas in the masjids, they used to have gas running, paraffin um, uh, lamps. And they used to have uh, some type of natural gas, I guess, soap pipes. And they would, they would have heaters connected to that. So in our, in our room, we were blessed to have, alhamdulillah, one heater, you know, connected to this natural gas. 
And which, uh, I remember that day that it was, I think, Fajr time probably, early before Fajr, and I was freezing cold. Did wudu, came back to the room, and I was just standing there. And I still remember the kurta. I was wearing a thick green thobe, thick green thobe, subhanAllah. And luckily there was someone in, in the room, I think so. And I'm just sitting there keeping myself warm. And there was Azim, look. And I look at down, literally my whole kurta was caught on fire, right? The whole kurta, about half of my kurta. Luckily, I didn't get burnt. SubhanAllah, it was a thick kurta. And that thing, like a fireman's jacket, how, you know, you see those burnt things? Literally, the whole thing got burnt. That fire was meant literally for how Musa came for. To get warmth. But it could have killed me. It could have burnt me. Alright? And you see so many times this happens with fire. There you go. That's what your dunya is. Use it. Use it. You can't live without it. You can't live without fire. Fire is something we need. But if you get too close to it, it will burn you. It will kill you. It will destroy you. So dunya, we need to utilize it, but with, from a distance. Without allowing it to consume us. So we see here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about فَخْلَانْ عَلَيْكَ to Musa alayhi salam Leave your shoes before you come in here. What is those shoes? Those shoes are referring to, what did I say? Dunya. Right? What is the, some of the sayings? Dunya jifa. Dunya is like a dead carcass. وَطُلَّابُهَا kilabuha. The only ones that go after that, after it. Remember, running after. If you're going to work at 8 a.m., that doesn't mean you're running after it. You're working. You have to work. It's the running after means the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. He's just sitting there. Not even running. He's just sitting there. Oh, that guy's rich guy. Let me try to get some money off of him. That guy's rich guy. Let me get some. That's, he's not even running. He's just sitting there drinking chai and looking at everyone walking by in front of him in the street. He's running after it. You understand? So we need to understand the hadith in the proper context. When he say, dunya ke picha, you know, dunya ke, dunya ke talabgar, dunya ke kutte hai. Which mentions, tullabuha, kilabuha. The ones who run after it are its dogs. Exactly. Meaning the one whose heart is filled with greed. And who just wants more and who wants it from everyone. Dunya daru man la lahu. Dunya is the home and abode of the one who's got no abode in the hereafter. Walaha yasa man la aqla lahu. And only the one who's got no intelligence will run after it. خُذْ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا مَا شِئْتْ Take from the dunya as much as you want. وَخُذْ بِقَدْرِهَا هَمَّنْ And when you take whatever you want from the dunya, you should realize that you are taking upon yourself worry and concern equivalent to that. جِتْنِي دُنْيَا آپ لَوْغَيْ اُسْكَ بَقَدَرْ مُسِيبَتْ بِي آپ لَرَيْهُ Basically. جِتْنِي دُنْيَا لَنْهَا لَيْلَيْ بِشَكْ MashaAllah بہت زیادہ ہے. Available. لیکن اس Mansion me tension, he used to say. And then another Ustad, Sheikh Ramzi of mine, and he would say, Dirhamu hammun wa dinaru narun. Dirham is silver coin, dinar is gold coin. He would say, Dirham has the word ham in it. What does ham mean? Ham. Worry, concern. Dirham say, Parishani aagi. Wa dinarun, gold coin say, narun aagi. Right? Aag, fire. How many times people are getting along? As soon as wealth comes in, khalas. Abi, right now, someone reached out to me today. You know, a brother died. May Allah forgive him and elevate his status. SubhanAllah, left behind a lot of money. Family is abroad. Now, they're so worried about the safety of the child and the wife, who is now a widow. And they're thinking how to bring them back because he left behind apparently a whole lot of money. So now over there, the news is spread that he died over here. SubhanAllah, so over there, they are all trying to literally hunt down the wife and the child because they know that this little child has inherited many millions from the dad 
And so now the, I, was, I received a call saying, how can we go about like, ensuring the protection? It's crazy what's go, what, what the family is going through. May Allah make it easy. But li- literally, azab man Because the poor child and the ex-wife, the, the wife now, subhanAllah, the widow, is now a target of who? Of the family itself. The family is hunting them down. Right? SubhanAllah. So many times we don't realize that seriously, this dinarud narun wa dirhamuhammun. So that's why we have to ask Allah, Ya Allah, give us wealth. A lot of wealth, enough wealth. But with barakah and afia, Not wealth that's going to bring musibah upon us. Not wealth that's going to cause fights between the family. Not, not wealth that's going to cause uh, disagreements within the family. As you are all well aware of how often that happens. Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam one day was walking by with his companions and he saw a dead animal, a dead sheep lying there which had, uh, which had swollen up. You know, it was just decaying. Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam said, Unduru kam ala ahliha. Look at how useless and disregarded this dead carcass, this carcass of a dead sheep is to the people of this area. Meaning they, would not, they want nothing to do with it. It's an animal, but they want nothing to do with it. I swear Allah subhanahu wa uh, ta'ala, this dunya is absolutely more despicable in front of Allah for the, for the people that are around it. Meaning, Allah has absolutely no desire to give this shat or uh, this dunya to the believers, just like the people do not want, any, or do not want to partake of this, of this shat, of this uh, dead animal. Then the Prophet has mentioned, of course, many, many other hadith regarding the dunya. Meaning, do not allow it to get into your heart. Uh, I want to say something here, one, quickly, one point. Uh, reiterate something that I said earlier on. That those people, my beloved friends, who have, who have who, you know, for a person who doesn't have money, to say, oh, I want to do something for the deen. So let me go out and become a millionaire. This is not a really smart idea. You work, work, alhamdulillah, but mashallah, work at your level, keep on working. But don't think that in order to serve the deen, I have to become a millionaire. That's foolish thinking. By the time you get there, you'll die probably. By the time you get there, you'll lose your half of your iman. Because to go start from scratch and go running after, running after it, how many jummas you're going to sacrifice? How many dars of tafsir you're going to sacrifice? Think about that. How many durus you're going to miss to become that millionaire that's your, in your imagination? On the flip side of it, the one who Allah SWT has already blessed a lot of wealth, he should regard himself to say, oh my God, I'm, I'm like the person, you know, uh, who, who, like the, all of us, in order to get close to Rasulullah can we all move to Medina? It's not very practical. It's not going to happen for all of us. We just move to Medina. Wherever you are, practice the deen. But the one who's in Medina, he should feel excited. Alhamdulillah, I'm born and raised in Medina. I have a house in Medina. Mashallah, I need to value Medina and utilize my time here properly. I cannot be saying everyone outside of Medina, you can't be a true Muslim until you move into Medina. That doesn't make sense. But if you're in Medina, value that time and get your close to Allah and Rasul. Similarly, not everyone has to become wealthy to serve the deen. That doesn't make sense. But those who have wealth, you are very blessed. And so utilize that time. Oh, you're, you're very blessed conditionally. You're very blessed if you use your wealth for the khidmah of deen. So those who are already in their journey of, of, they're in the midst of their career, or they're doing very well in their career, etc., etc. Their goal should be, that you know what, uh, for me at the age of 40 to become a qari of the seven qiraat is kind of a little challenging. Right? If I can read hafs properly, and mashallah is good for me. Right? For me to become an advanced scholar of fiqh might be a little bit challenging for me. But what I can do is Allah put me in a specific place. I can use this wealth for the service of deen. So how about I hatch up a plan and figure out how can I use vast majority of my wealth to serve Allah Azza wa creation and to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen. 
So meaning it's so beautiful. Our deen never told poor people to become rich to serve deen. And our deen never told rich people to become poor to serve deen. Whichever situation you're in, serve deen in that manner. You can earn Allah's pleasure in poverty and you can earn Allah's pleasure in your wealth. The key thing is, are you fulfilling the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So wealth in itself is a big blessing if it's used properly. And how many people use it properly? Unfortunately, way too few. Way too few. So that's why we say that instead of trying to become, oh, I'm a pious person, mashallah, right now. So I just need to get the wealth and then I can do everything. Nah, I don't think so. How will we take the other way around? Find the people who have wealth, just make them pious. That's much better. Did you hear what I said? Those people already have the wealth, get them to have taqwa. Then the work of the deen can take place. Instead of saying, I have taqwa, I have ilm, let me just go grab some money. By the time you get that, you don't know what you have done with your deen. So this is a message to people who are moving up forward in their careers. That wealth is a big blessing of Allah and it's a big responsibility from Allah. Make sure you utilize that in the best possible manner and your Jannah is, you know, you won't believe how close your Jannah could be. The second explanation of pulling, removing your she shoes is that, oh Musa, you have now arrived in a very honorable spot. You are about to receive the prophethood. You have a very beautiful, bright future. You have very big goals. And you have very big uh, maqasid and purpose of life. So now, get rid of the small tasks, small distractions in your life. Small things that slow you down. Okay? And so, that's another explanation of removing the shoes. Um, and we also learn from here the etiquette that when we enter the masjid, when we enter a home, etc., any honorable place, we should remove our shoes. Just like Musa salam, entered, uh, entered this wadi muqaddas and Allah asked him to remove his shoes. Then Allah says, Wa I have chosen you. All the prophets are chosen. Hence, it is not possible for a prophet to be committing major sins or minor sins. It's not possible for a prophet to have deficiencies. Otherwise, it would be a biggest deficiency and a biggest accusation against who? Against Allah. I send someone to take care. You know, I, you asked me to send a khatib to my masjid. And I send someone to you. He goes up there and completely messes it up. What's gonna happen? It's gonna look, I'm gonna say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I really messed up. I can't believe I sent someone who couldn't do that job. It reflects horribly upon me. How is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can choose a person to speak, speak on his behalf and to say, I'm receiving revelation from Allah. And then he goes commit sins left and right. As you talk about the stories in the Bible in which prophets are accused of all sorts of horrible things. Right? So we know that this is absolutely against common sense and against our deen to allow any prophet to be accused of anything. And then Allah says, listen attentively to what is being revealed. Okay? So... What do we listen here? What do we learn from here? That uh, in order for you to do any work, you have to first learn how to listen. As they say, before you learn how to speak, learn how to listen. And you could translate this into what I, uh, I shared the other day, Mulana Sajjad Nomani Damad Barakatu mentioned in one bayan after he talked about his beautiful biography, autobiography. And he just, and he said in his final statement, he said after talking about his life story, he said, yeah. He said, before you, learn how, before you become big, learn how to become small. Meaning, before you become prominent, learn how to become humble. Meaning, that humility and humbleness that you have will give you what you need to become prominent. Not the other way around. Let me first become prominent, then I'll think about it. 
Subhanallah. So learn how to listen. And let's not jump the gun. As my ustad, my ustad one day, Salman Mullah, if we ask him some questions, a little bit advanced, he said, Bhai, no man is a pele, kyun janna chate ho? He would say, why do, you, why do you want to come out, you know? Why, why do you want a birth to happen before nine months? Right? Before, before it's time. Just slow down. You'll, you'll, learn, you'll learn this next year. Don't ask questions. Because today kids love to do that. That's why we need answers like this. You know, because to take out that Amriki Pana from within us. To go somewhere and all this type of arrogance, you know, people think, oh, it's just innocence. It's not innocence. Actually, it's pretty, um, you know, ignorance and outright obnoxious. Yeah, this is another point I want to say here. Many times our children, our young people, they do so many th wrong things. And we think it's cute. It's not cute. This is obnoxious behavior. There's something wrong with us that we are misunderstanding obnoxious, arrogant behavior as being cute. And that's actually be and against the etiquette. There was a time when speaking out of line, you know, subhanAllah, speaking before your elders, giving back answers to your elders, to have an answer for everything was regarded absolutely unacceptable. That's why Nabi Wasallam would ask questions and there was instance where Abdullah ibn Umar Allah, a famous hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas Allah, knew the answer but he kept quiet. Right? Because he said, there's elders here. I know the answer, but I can't just blurt it out. It me. I know the answer. But there are elder sahaba here. I should not be giving an answer in the presence of elders. That's a trait from the sahaba. So why is it today that it's so cute? Oh, mashallah, you said so loud answer in front of everyone. That this, this haya needs to be taught to our kids. Haya needs to be taught to our kids. Adab needs to be. You have a place and a maqam. One day you'll be sitting on this chair and you can give the talk. But right now you need to listen. Right? This is not just cute behavior. This bayadbi, there's nothing cute about bayadbi. There is nothing cute about loss of etiquette. And we have a major pandemic right now that our children have no etiquette. And it, it, uh, it baffles me in Ramadan too. Sometimes little kids, short, just see in this own masjid of ours. You talk to a little kid, sometimes the way they will respond to you is shocking. One, I mean, just give you an example. One of our brothers was saying, Brother, but bachi chalo taravi parlo. And he turns around and says, why don't you pray Tarawih? Six, seven-year-old, why aren't you praying Tarawih? You're telling me. I'm like, SubhanAllah, what's going on? What am I watching a six-year-old speak to a, an adult like that? Why are you not? Why? He says, well, because my job is to, I've been ordered to make sure everyone prays Tarawih, I'll go pray Tarawih at home. Well, guess what? My job is to play around. Yeah. But Zaban like you know, no, no other, like an alligator's it's tongue, you know, teeth. The, the tongue is just horrible. So we have to nip this in the bud. As an outsider, you know, if I say something, you're gonna get mad. Like, oh, why tell my son like that? But subhanAllah, we as dads and moms need to be always on the lookout who's speaking what. And if someone says something, for Allah's sake, don't say chota bachai. He's a little kid. By this is the time to fix things up when they're young. You're not gonna fix a 15-year-old. I remember when we were young, myself, my brothers and I remember this. I used to call my elder brothers by name. I used to call my elder brothers by their first name. Our nanny came to visit us one day. And when she, when she heard me, and she heard my middle brother calling my elder brother, and myself calling my older brothers by their first name, she said she got so upset. And she said, what are you doing? How dare you call your brothers by their first name? Then immediately scolded us and corrected us. And that was the last time I ever did that, right? Well, none of us did that. After that, we were taught. If, that, if you were to be taught at the age of 25, that gets a little bit challenging. So think how to address 
our siblings, how to address our spouse, how to address our parents, and how to speak in gatherings, this must be taught at a young age, is what I'm saying. And so, don't think that uh, he's too young to understand. I've shared a youth story, a lady brought her five-year-old to, the, to a sheikh and said, Sheikh, I want you to teach him. He said, okay. The Purana Zamanatha, long ago. He said, what would you like me to teach him? He said, I would like you to teach him Adab. How many people come to Darussalam Maktab or any Maktab with this niya? Mulana, can you please teach my son Adab? Everyone's like, listen, I'm giving him 15 minutes. You teach him Quran quickly, I'm waiting outside. <laughs> right? I'll give you Islamic studies. No, no, please. We don't need all that stuff. I need him to just learn how to read Quran properly. This is unfortunately the condition of most of our, you know, of Ummah. And they, they stay, they do online Skype and all this other stuff. And now, okay, you cannot learn Adab over Skype. He can't even see what you're doing. You're, he, your kid is playing video games there. Your kid is on learning, reading Quran, cheating. You know, he's, he's reading from another. He's a Ustad Sunao and he's looking from another window and reading it out. This happens. All those Ustads tell me this. He's reading off of another window. You can't even see what's happening there. How are you going to learn Adab off of Skype? You have to learn Adab in front of a teacher, right in front, one after another. That's how you learn. I came, I mean, I'm just, where am I supposed to say? This is a very big problem. And the masjid can't solve this problem. Who's going to have to solve this problem? Parents. Parents at home need to take care of this issue. So the lady said, uh, Yeah, Sheikh, I brought my son for you to teach him Adam. So he said, Okay, how old is he? He said, He's five years old. So I responded, Okay, you've come at the wrong time. So she said, I'm sorry, okay, what year, what age should I bring him at? He says, No, he's already past that age. Five years, you want me to start Adab? It's too late. Look at with those who want to become karate masters and this and that other, you know, gymnastics. What type of age they're starting? You want to learn etiquette? Etiquette is they first etiquette. Before you even talk to them, they observe etiquette. So the best way to teach etiquette is to have etiquette in your home. And as the child who grows up, he looks around, he sees, okay, that's how my mom speaks to my dad. That's how my father speaks to his dad. This is how my mom speaks to his mom, her mom. This is how my uncle speaks to, you know, his brother, etc., etc. They pick that stuff up. And then when they become two, three years old, then they'll even start understanding further and you can give them specific directions. Otherwise, we're going to have major issues. So make niya, inshallah, that we will teach ourselves and our children adab and etiquette. And we will try our best to, uh, to uh, sit in the company of the people of etiquette. And that's why we need mashayikh's majlis. You go to ustad's majlis, sheikh's majlis, and you speak out of line, they'll correct you. They're not going to just say it's cute. They'll say, no, it's not cute. Keep quiet. That's what we need to hear. Today, everyone's worried about the feelings of the little one. And that same one becomes a Frankenstein tomorrow. So just always looking after the feelings and not teaching them what's correct. He knows the story how many ten times I've told him. Right? As of a, when I correct him, is the story of, of the mother, of the child who, who got stealing. Every time he got, caught, he got caught stealing and he made a big theft and then after that eventually he was brought to the court and they said, this is such a big uh, 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 robbery that your hand has to be cut. So as he was brought up to the executioner who was going to take his sword to cut off his hand, he said, go ahead, cut my hand, I, I acknowledge I've stolen. But before you do that, please call my mother. And they said, for what? He said, I want you to bring my mother and I want you to first cut her tongue before you cut my hand. For, for I didn't become a big thief like this all of a sudden. I used to steal small, small things growing up. And my mother would see that, but she didn't scold me or correct me. Had she scolded me or corrected me when I was a little child, today I would never have the audacity to commit this huge crime. 
I am a product of the faults of my parents. Subhanallah. That is the, that's, that's why every father and mother, when they correct their child, should tell them that I know you don't like me correcting you, but I'm doing it out of love for you because I want you to become far better than I am. And I don't want you to have to neglect and share this story when you're older to say, I wish my mom and dad corrected me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be like this. So we need to work as a community. As a community. Let me tell you one more thing. If you see something happening in this masjid, right? This is the environment I want to create here. Don't, don't slap a child, astaghfirullah. And don't even scold the child. But find the child and go find the parent. And definitely share with the parent what that child has done. Because that parent obviously has no idea what their child is doing. If you care after some, if you look after someone's child, Allah will ensure someone else looks after your child. This is a very important point. What can I say to them? No, this is not hamdardi. This is not, this is not empathy. Real empathy and love for each other is if you see someone's child doing something wrong, then out of love and care, you share that news with the parent so that they can correct it. Because most of the times, the parents are unaware because the children are, live in a one life in front of the parents and another lifestyle away from the parents in public places. So let's create this environment over here. When you see something wrong, don't head on, take care of it yourself, but find out who is the parent of the child and go share this with them. For example, sometimes kids come and say, randomly, can I borrow a dollar? Randomly, it's happened with me. Which person here, which parent here cannot, does not have a dollar to give to his child? But now if this parent is not informed that their child is going around in the masjid asking for dollar bills to get stuff from the bake sale or whatever, so well, what is he going to become later on? Today he's a small time beggar, tomorrow he's going to become a big time beggar or big time scam, scam artist, right? So find out who's, who's his father. Don't say, achare, dollar, No, you're, you're harming him by giving him that dollar. Remember that. You're oppressing him by giving him that dollar. Don't do that. Find out who is his dad. And you can give the dad a gift you want, whatever. Give the child a gift later on. But make sure the parents are informed of what's happening. So we started off, subhanAllah, on this beautiful ayah here. Fastami'alimayuha, listen attentively to what's being revealed. Because you can't do the job until you learn properly. So we learn from here the sifat of a da'i. If you, to do give da'wah and to do the work of the prophets, which we all have to do, is not easy, it's challenging. But we have to do it. And in order for us to achieve that, in order for us to do that, we have to make sure we follow certain protocols. And I'm going to go over that, inshallah. A few attributes. Number one, sabr. First thing is you have to have patience. If you want to be da'i, you have to have a patience. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When Ibrahim was tested by Allah through certain ways, and he Pass the test. Then Allah said, I'm going to make you an imam for the people. Meaning, expect that when you want to become a da'i for Allah, then you will be tested. And you are expected to remain patient in times of ease, in times of difficulty, in times of, of wealth, in times of poverty, in times of health, in times of sickness. You have to obey Allah and remain patient. That's the first attribute, first quality that we learn. Number two is a person has to make sure that they are completely free of want, free of need from the wealth of the people. Number two, keep ourselves 
absolutely do not allow our hands to stretch out towards the wealth of the people. Every prophet, what did he say? I don't want anything in return. I don't want anything in return. I don't want any ajar. This is where ikhlas comes in. To make sure you are not asking not only for monetary things, but don't even ask for uh, what you call, uh, you know, position or power. I'm not asking for money, just a plaque. I'm not asking for money, I'm just asking for a position. I'm not asking for money, I'm just asking for a seat. It's the same thing. Don't ask anything in return. Don't expect anything in return. Uh, number three is that the tabligh has to be done properly, fully. So, in order to do it fully, you cannot be afraid of anyone. You cannot be afraid of anyone. You got to speak the truth in all circumstances. Allah says, Those are the people who fulfill the message of Allah. Who are they? They fear Allah. And they fear none other besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number four. To give da'wah with knowledge and foresight. Knowledge. Don't give da'wah. Don't speak without proofs. Don't say random things. Ajeeb. Sometimes people, with, they, they share with me, and they, and they say stuff. They say, yaha, mashallah, I've said this in the bayan, I've said it to my co-workers. By which ayat is that again? Where'd you come from this? You can see some, you know, some wise person on the internet said it. You, oh my God. You made that a verse of the Quran. That's, that's crazy. That would have better you have never opened your mouth. Instead of attributing towards Allah and towards the Quran something which doesn't belong there. So do not speak about things that you have no knowledge of. Speak basic things. Invite towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But let's not get all technical without actually learning the sciences. Okay? Because it will actually do great harm to the deen. If we speak to, if we invite towards Allah without knowledge and without a deep understanding. Number five is to make people understand the greatness of Allah. We need to introduce people to Allah's greatness. Allah bears testimony that there's none worthy of worship but, but He. The angels bear testimony to this and the people of knowledge bear testimony to this. So the purpose of da'wah is to get people impressed with Allah's greatness. Number six is humility and humbleness in front of Allah subhanahu wa in front of the people. Humility and humbleness in front of the people. Don't be arrogant. Allah says, Allah Oh, Prophet of Allah, humble yourself in front of the believers who are following you. Humble yourself in front of the believers who are following you. So when a person has all of these sifat, inshaAllah, then he will become a da'i. Indeed, I, it is I who is Allah. So worship me and establish salah for my remembrance. Salah, my beloved brothers, or rather I should say first, ibadah. Islam is not just a theoretical religion. It's not about, oh, I am very interested in history of Islam. I'm very interested in this part of Islamic history. It's not about being interested in stuff. It's about doing things. You can study all you want, but you got to do it. You have to do ibadah. You cannot say your interest in Islamic studies doesn't give you the time to recite Quran, doesn't give you the time to, uh, to do dhikr. Uh, Islamic videos, mashallah, as interesting they are, will not replace ibadah. All those powerful reminders and powerful this and that online and YouTube, binge watching that, 
will never allow us to skip a salah. It's more important that we pray Salat al-Isha in the masjid than watch a three-hour documentary on some aspect of the Qur'an or three-hour you know, explanation of tafsir. Ibadah is the main thing. Connect ourselves to worship of Allah. Fasting, sadaqah, zakat, hajj, uh, akhlaq, uh, what you call dhikr of Allah. So Allah mentions ibadah, number one. After that, He mentions وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِذِكْرِي and establish salah for my remembrance. What is, why did Allah mention salah separately? It's already part of ibadah. Because the most important ibadah is salah. It is the most important pillar. It is the head of the deen. If we have salah, we have everything. If we don't have salah, we have nothing. That's why it's been mentioned completely separate. Whoever establishes salah has established deen. Whoever destroys salah has destroyed the entire deen. Okay, now how are you supposed to pray the salah? And what's the purpose of salah? Li for my remembrance. Meaning a salah in which we are not remembering Allah, unfortunately, is hollow, is empty. It's just the actions. We have to not only recite Surah Fatiha in a surah, tasbihat in all the ruku, sajda, qiyam, qawma, dua, but our mind needs to be present in our salah. Otherwise, our salah unfortunately is hollow. So that is the purpose of, of salah, is to make sure we remember Allah. Allah then says, I have hid the coming of the hour, the exact, uh, exact time and date of the coming of the hour. Because if everyone knew when day of judgment is coming, or if everyone knew when they will die, then everyone will always prepare the night before. That's it. But by keeping death unknown and the day of judgment unknown, what happens? Allah can strike us, in, you know, all of a sudden unprepared. And hamari haqiqat kul who we really are will become apparent. That's how you, that's how you uh, go as an inspector. You don't announce it. You go unannounced to see exactly what's happening. So similarly, Allah says, I'm not going to tell you when your death is coming. That one average day, your death is going to come. And it, you're not going to get a text message reminder that today is your last day. We won't. Subhanallah. Um, so the, the, the most challenging night that a person will ever spend. I've been through tough days and tough nights when I went to, came to America or I traveled overseas. The toughest night, my friends, is yet to come. What night is that? That's the first night in the grave. The first night of the grave, subhanAllah. Right? This is why it's mentioned in the saying, Abdi, O my servants, Raja'u, my servants have left you, وَتَرَكُوكَ and they have left you in the grave. dafanuka, And they have buried you in the soil. مَعَكَ And if they were to stay with you, they wouldn't have been able to benefit you. And there is no one remaining here for you except for I. And I am the, most, the ultimate living who shall never die. So if our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is great, then the first night in the grave, inshaAllah, will also be beautiful. And if our relationship with Allah is not good and our relationship with everyone else is great, then Allah forbid that night will be very, very, very challenging. May Allah make that easy for all of us. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Then Allah says, so make sure the one who doesn't believe in the hereafter and the one who follows his whims and desires does not mislead you. What does that mean? Most people who don't believe in the hereafter are going to be end up following their desires. And those people who keep on following desires may end up stop believing in the day of judgment. Did you hear what I said? One leads to the other. If you don't believe in Allah, you're going to end up following your desires. And if you keep on following your desires, you may end up actually disbelieving in the hereafter. Today, that's what's happening. All this whole 
subhanAllah, nonsense is happening in the youth and all the sins that are going and the whole LGBTQ and everything else that's going on. At the end of the day, what's going on? Straight up. I'm just, today I heard this. A person who says, I've chosen this lifestyle and I'm a murtad. I'm serious, just today, someone shared this about their friend. Who said, this is my lifestyle, I have a boyfriend and now I'm murtad. Astaghfirullah What happened? They followed their desires, desires, until they ended up actually becoming an outright kafir. So following desires is a very dangerous thing. Now don't spend time with them. If you spend with such people, they will stop you from preparing for the hereafter. So be careful who we befriend. This is where we, we will be stopping inshaAllah. And uh, we'll be continuing on from this ayah, what is in your right hand, uh, from, from next week. We have about 10 minutes inshaAllah for Salat al-Isha. Let us use this a few moments to do some dhikr uh, inshaAllah before we conclude tonight's dars. لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى 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 الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم
Astaghfirullah, 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 we ask you to accept whatever was shared. Oh Allah, allow us to immediately put into practice, allow us to share it, propagate it, and allow us, Ya Allah, to allow this knowledge to become a proof for us and not against us. Oh Allah, whatever right beneficial things were shared, indeed it was from you, and we ask you to accept it. Oh Allah, whatever mistakes were made, Ya Allah, we ask you to grant forgiveness for us, grant us forgiveness for that. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, allow this gathering to be surrounded by millions of angels, allow this gathering to be to be such whoever attended attended or intended to attend, allow their sins to be completely, completely forgiven. Allow them to be replaced with righteous good, righteous good deeds. Oh Allah, allow everyone who is attending now, attend, will listen later to be given the tawfiq to lead a life that is in accordance to the sunnah of Rasulullah that is in uh, that is in accordance to how you want us to lead a life oh Allah we ask you to grant all of us steadfastness in our good deeds steadfastness in all our actions oh Allah we ask you to make this gathering accepted in your sight allow it to be accepted in your sight allow it to be accepted in your sight allow it to become the means of hidayah for millions of people oh Allah whoever has got any permissible desire and need we ask you to fulfill their permissible desires and needs grant shifa to those who are sick grant forgiveness to those who passed away oh Allah our upcoming retreat allow it to become an amazing means of guidance for thousands and thousands of people. Allah, oh Allah, every aspect of the retreat, allow it to become easy. Logistically, allow it to become perfect. Allow it to become easy. And allow us, to, Ya Allah, to be able to serve your guest, Ya Allah, in the best possible manner. Allow it to become a means of people getting close to you. Allow them to become a means of them getting close to your Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Oh Allah, we ask you, Allah, all those who are attending here, to allow us to attend regularly our tafsir sessions. And allow them to, Ya Allah, allow them to attend the retreat. Allow them to become ambassadors of the khair, of khair and good. Allow them always be inviting people towards khair and good, wherever they are. Oh Allah, allow every single one of us here to become a conduit of khair, a conduit of goodness. Oh Allah, whatever health and wealth you have given us, whatever children and spouse you have given us, allow us to utilize all the blessings we're enjoying in the khidmah and the service of deen. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma asifun. Wa salamun al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Ameen ya rabbil alameen.